Our Father, as we bow before you this morning, uh, we are a people who need to walk with you and trust you, and uh, Father, we need to look to you for all uh, things in our life. Uh, Lord, we, and we're acknowledging that by simply being here this morning, and Lord, by uh, looking into your word, we, we want to hear your voice, and we want to conform our lives to be like Christ. And so I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would help us. I, I pray, Lord, that um, it open our under- Holy Spirit open our understanding, that we would understand the Word. I pray you'd help me as I teach, uh, Lord, to um, ha- have right interpretation and application. And so, Lord, we just ask you to, to work in our lives this morning for your glory and our blessing. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, I'm going to give you just a very brief review. Paul had spent uh, considerable time in Corinth, a uh, pagan city, uh, established church. Now he's moved probably to Ephesus, and he has been asked in a letter to respond to certain questions about what's happening in the church. And then, if you remember when we started, he said that he had had some gossip, I guess. I guess gossip is not always wrong, because Paul listened to it and said that there are some divisions in the church at Corinth. And the divisions were there are people saying that I'm with Peter, and I'm with Paul, I'm with Cephas, uh, I, I'm with Mark, Peter is Cephas, but I'm with Apollos. And uh, some are just saying, well, I'm just with Christ. I'm, I'm, I trump all you guys because I'm with Christ. And so Paul addressed that, and now he, he began to speak to them about unity, and now he's speaking to them about problems, specific problems that uh, he asked them about, uh, that they asked him about. And uh, so one of the things that we're going to look at this morning is that he they ask him about the problem of eating meat that had been offered to idols. Now, the background is that in Corinth, it was an idolatrous city. It was a pagan city. And in the church, there were people, when they got saved, they came from that background. There were some Jews in the church. And let me remind you that if you read in the book of Acts, that when uh, there was some controversy after Jews up at Antioch had gotten saved... Uh, and then Gentiles had gotten saved at Antioch. There was controversy about, from the church at Jerusalem, whether Paul was telling the people that the Jewish law didn't matter. And so he comes to Jerusalem, if you remember, and they have a, they have a conference, and they have this council, and in this council, they determine that Gentiles do not have to become Jewish. They do not have to live by Jewish regulation to, to, to be saved and be in, the, to be in the church. And so they're not going to require that of them, which, by the way, they couldn't require it of them anyway, but it would create a division in the fellowship. So you remember, James wrote a letter. James, who is the head of the church of Jerusalem, wrote a letter to give to Paul and Barnabas to take to the churches, the Gentile churches, and say that we, we want you to... We want you to, to uh, how do I say the word? We, we, we want you to observe these regulations. And you don't eat things offered with blood. You don't eat things with blood. And then one of the things said, and you don't eat meat offered to idols. 
Okay. Now, if you lived in Corinth and you grew up there and every, nearly every, a lot of the social events had to do with the temple. Uh, people, when they're going to have a marriage, when they're going to have a celebration, uh, on feast days, you invite your family, you would go to the temple and use one of their rooms. They, they believed in the pagan societies that there were demons that, that lived in the meat, and when you ingested that meat, you very well could ingest a demon. Now, think, think what they believed about demonology there is that, that things happened to them they couldn't explain. People had mental problems. People had physical problems, maybe epilepsy or things like that, and a spell would come on, and, and they couldn't explain it, and so they always applied it to demons. So what, what they did regularly, if they were going to have, a, let's just say, a wedding, if they are going to have a celebration, or at the, they asked the priest to bless the meat. And when the priest blessed the meat, then you could eat it freely without being concerned about the demons. Do you understand? What so this was their culture. Everybody did it. And, and so not only that, but everybody who offered meat, offered an animal uh, at the temples, the idols don't eat meat, and so, of course, and so the meat is then offered, and then whatever the priests don't want, they sell in the meat market. And so now you go to the meat market, and you're buying meat, and you don't know whether it has been prayed over by a priest, offered to an idol or not. And so it was controversial. And so now it's in the church. Now there are Jews in the church uh, who have this prohibition. And then there are Gentiles in the church who've done this all their life. And if they're not going to do it, they can no longer go to some of their family organizations or some of their civic organizations. or They, they can no longer participate in a lot of social life in their city. that make sense to you? So now they have a problem. So they ask Paul, what about meat offered to idols? <laughs> now I'm going to make an application for you this morning before we even get started. And then I'll come back to it in a minute. We don't have that problem today. We don't live in that culture. Uh, we, we don't believe there's idols that, uh, or I mean, we don't believe there's demons in, in our meat. And we don't need it to be blessed before we eat it. And so we're not concerned. This is not our concern. The principle, though, we live with. And here's how it's applied in a couple of different ways. I think it's applied with alcohol, and I think it's applied with uh, homosexuality, I think, in our society today. And then in our society today, we, we, we could also say media is a problem with and And so how do we interact with people who are unsaved? So we, we struggle with the principle applied to different things and in, in application in our lives. How do we live? How, how do we live as a Christian in this society that's basically a pagan society? It is a society that doesn't recognize uh, the sovereignty and right of God to, uh, to uh, organize our lives and to tell us how to live. It, it is a society that believes in autonomy, that we do whatever we please, and, and no one can tell us that we don't. So that's the background. It, when we read about meat, we think about these other things. This is the background. Okay, so read with me in uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. 
The balance of a Christian life is that you have knowledge of Christ and you have love. You can't, if you, if you only have more one or the other, you're, you're out of balance and you're going to have problems in, in, in your life. <clears throat> but he's saying, if you just go by your knowledge, and I'll explain that in a little more. Knowledge puffs up, and here's what the, the, the knowledge might be. But beloved edify, verse 2, and if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Instead of saying, if anyone loves God, we would know God, he said, he, we are known by him. If you love God this morning, you know why you do? Because you were known by him. He chose you to love him. He chose you to uh, reveal himself to you, and so you're known by him. And then he said, therefore concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. Now, this is the knowledge that he's talking about. We know that an idol is just stone or wood or, or, or marble or whatever it's made out of, and that's all that it is. Verse 5, for even if there are so-called gods, and he qualifies, they're not really gods, they're so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, that's what he's saying, people believe that, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge, for some with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak, is defiled. So, we know, we have this knowledge, we know there are no there are no idols. They're, they're nothing. They're, they're wood. You go all the way back to Isaiah, and Isaiah said, <clears throat> I think it's Isaiah, is that, you know, you take, a man takes a, a, a tree, and out of that tree, he makes, cuts off part of it, and he carves it, and he makes an idol, he stands it up and worships it. But the rest of the tree, he burns for his fire. And he's saying, and, and what I, Isaiah said, they can't see, they can't hear, they can't respond to you, they can't help you, they're, they're nothing. Now, we who know Christ know that. We who know Christ know there, there are no idols, and so if the meat is offered to this piece of wood, it doesn't change the meat one bit. Now, we know that. Why? Because we know God, and there's only one God. There are, uh, I, I went to Nepal and taught years ago, and they, they have like three million gods, and, but there are no gods. They aren't gods. And it's really interesting when he is saying here, so we know that, and he's saying, though, in verse 7, not everybody in the church does know that. Now think about it. here. Here are people who had lived. They're, they're not Jewish. They're, or they're Gentile. And this has been their life, all their life. They've gone to the temples with their family. They've gone to the celebrations. They've gone to the feast days. They've eaten this meat offered to idol. They have believed that the blessing on the meat took away the demonic part out of the meat, and they ate it freely. And now, all of a sudden, they're hearing, probably from their Jewish counterpart in the church, they're hearing is that if you eat that meat, that you are uh, believing in idols. And so they don't have this knowledge that there are no idols. And so they're, they're conditioned by their background and their life and their life that they live. They're conditioned to believe 
that this is what's happening. And, and they, they're, they're, they're weak in their faith. It doesn't mean they're weak in their strength or they're weak in, 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 their, not, in their ability to think. It just means they're weak in their faith. Uh, I don't know about you, I, I saved as an adult, and I had to overcome habits. I had to overcome ways of thinking that had been true in my life that was in the culture that I was raised in particularly. And so it, you have to overcome that, and it's a struggle. And it is a, it's a process. Uh, you don't just get sanctified one day when you trust Christ. You, you have to learn what the Scripture says and evaluate how you've been doing life and thinking about life and begin to change. And so here, here are some people who it's really a problem for them. It is, uh, they, they think if we go to the meat market and we buy that meat and it's been offered to an idol, that even though I'm now believing in Christ, I'm also, I, I believe that I am worshiping that idol if I eat that meat. And so there's, there's a conflict going on in the church. <clears throat> okay. Paul says in verse 8, But food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. This is our knowledge. This is the knowledge we have. It, it is nothing. There's nothing there. There are no idols. So the meat's not tainted. But then he says this, But we wear lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. And then listen to this statement in verse 12. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. (laughs) I don't really need to explain this much. This is pretty straightforward. He just saying that your brother's weak conscience should govern your behavior. Now, I don't know about you, but see, I was raised in this thinking I mentioned earlier in the introduction about an autonomous lifestyle. I was raised thinking, you make your own decisions, you make your own way, you do what's best for you, and nobody else is looking after you, and that's, that's what you have to do. Um, and so when I had this thought, Initially, that my lifestyle is governed by my weak brother's conscience, my weak brother who, who doesn't fully understand that I have liberty in Christ. That's what Paul called it. I have liberty in Christ. I stand before you here today as a, as a sinner that was hell-bound, who was saved by the grace of God. He, he, he Reveal Christ to me, reveal my need, and I trusted him as my Savior. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption. I'm in the hand of God. Jesus said, no one's going to pluck you out of the hand of God. Whatever I do from here on out, I am going to go to heaven. I am saved. Nothing's ever going to change that. Now, not because I'm worthy, but because that's what Christ paid for. You understand? Are you with me? Okay. So because he paid for that, I have liberty in him. I could go after golf and drink a beer with the guys, and it's not going to change my Christian standing, my my standing with salvation one bit. It's not going to change a simple thing. I could get drunk, and the only thing, and go home, the only thing it'll change is my wife would be upset. 
And let me put this in there. I'm a teetotaler. I'm a teetotaler, but I don't believe that the, I don't believe that the Bible teaches that you that you can't use alcohol. Now I feel like I have to say something about that. What they used in the New Testament time, when you read about the drinking wine, it was very, very diluted. It had very low alcoholic content. Uh, you could drink a barrel of it and probably get drunk. And then they had something called strong drink. And strong drink, when you read that in the scripture, strong drink would have been a higher alcoholic content and been very easy to get drunk on that. And the Bible warns against drunkenness. You're like a man on the top of a mast in the sea and, you know, you're staggering around. And I've I've seen that on television. So, <laughs> what 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 I want you to understand is that I have complete liberty. I have complete liberty to do that. And yet, if one of my grandchildren saw me doing that, they might believe that a boozy lifestyle would be just fine and that they might be one out of 20 who takes their first drink and becomes an alcoholic. And I don't know if one out of twenty is the, is the correct uh, is the correct number, but there is a percentage. I tried to find it, and I couldn't find. It. I read it before, but out of, out of people who take their first drink, going to become a drunk or an alcoholic. And how would I know that one of my grandkids wouldn't do that? How do I know that a weak brother in the church wouldn't do that if they saw me doing that? I wish I had mentioned my grandkids. Makes me emotional when I do. I can love an individual who practices homosexuality. If one of my, God forbid, if one of my grandchildren decided they were going to practice homosexuality, I would love them. But as a Christian, even though we have knowledge, you see, our knowledge as a Christian. There is no such thing as a homosexual person. Uh, years ago, they tried to prove it was a that you could be homosexual because you had those type genes, or you, your your chrono, I mean your chromosomes or your DNA led you to that lifestyle, and, they, and that's been disproved by the medical association, American Medical Association. That is just not true. There are no homosexual people. There are no transgender people. There are no people who, who believe that that is simply a choice and it, it is a rebellion against the creator, but it is a choice and a lifestyle. And so I understand that. I understand it is a choice and a lifestyle, and I have known people who practice the lifestyle and have cared about them. I have known people who grew up here in the church, practiced the lifestyle, cared about them. There's been some people in our extended family who, who, who've done that, and, and I understand that, and I still care, but I cannot, as a Christian, approve it. I can't approve it, much less celebrate it. Uh, you know, everything you watch on television these days, they, if, it's, if it's a modern show or something, now, they're promoting homosexual lifestyles, and the way they're promoting it is that they want you to feel sorry for the homosexual who's practicing homosexuality because they're persecuted in some way, because they feel persecuted in, in some way. And it's just really interesting. See, we're, we're browbeaten with that anytime. Anytime you're in the media, we're, we're browbeaten with it, social media, we're browbeaten with it in, in the media. And so here, how, do you, how do you navigate that and honor Christ? 
Well, you acknowledge it is a reality in some people's lives, not that they are, but that they practice that. They're practicing that lifestyle. We can acknowledge that, and we can care about the person, but we cannot approve it, and we cannot celebrate it. And that is a challenge in our, in our society today. And it is a, uh, you know, talking with our grandkids sometimes when we have a family get together, it's just all around them. They're aware of it. It's just all around them. And now, for me, it's not so much because this is my social life, basically. And so it's not for me. These days, I mean, I see it and I understand it, but they live with it. And, and so these things are a problem in our life. Now we can talk about media, all the things of media, the things we let in our mind. Uh, we need to guard our mind. You, you remember reading Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you're transformed as a Christian to the likeness of Christ by the renewing of your mind. And what you put in is what you are conditioned to. And if, if, if I view all those things that are in the world continually... Now, we're going to see some of it. We're going to see some of it, and, and we can't help it. You remember, remember Paul's already said to us in, in this book is that if you've got to live in the world. You're going to live with unsaved people, and you're going to do business with them. You're going to interact with them. And if you, if you, if you don't, to, to not do it, you have to go out of the world. Remember that? And so we're going to interact with them. We're going to, and, and that's okay. We just can't. We, we can't give into it. We have to. Our weak brother in the church and in our families, or, or their conscience is more important than our liberty. I have complete liberty to do anything I want to. Anything. Now, I'm not saying Christ won't hold me accountable. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he won't spank me or he won't, he won't take me home to heaven earlier than my scheduled time if uh, the Bible teaches that. And he, I'll, I'll go into heaven so as by fire. I'll be singed a little bit. And uh, I don't know about you, but in my Christian life, I've been singed a little bit. And uh, it's not enjoyable. So <clears throat> I don't want to go there anymore. Now listen, Paul makes a personal commitment. I, I want you to read verse 12 again before. When, when you thus sin against the brethren, see, and he says it is a sin. When you have this knowledge that you have liberty and you don't care what people think about what you do, that is a sin. And he said, and when, then in verse um, 12, and you sin, that, that's a sin, and it's a sin against Christ. Why? Because we're to be like Christ. And Christ cared for those who were weak. Christ cared for those who were um, coming along but hadn't, were not mature. Verse 13, this is, what, this is Paul's personal commitment. This doesn't have to be our commitment, but it's Paul's personal commitment. Therefore, food makes my brother stumble. I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I don't know about you. That's a hard chapter, isn't it? I mean, but see, the Lord's teaching us that we, we need to conform to Christ. and We need to think hard about our life. We need to think hard about what we do. You have people watching you. I know you hear preachers say that all the time, but it's true. There are people watching you all the time. I'll never forget, Denise said to one time that my grand, her daughter said that if Papa said it, then it must be true. <laughs> Which is not true, but if she believes that, 
I have to be careful what I say. I have to be careful what I do. And so do you. You have people watching you uh, all, all the time. People you may not even know who are, who are watching you. And then we move to chapter 9, and he continues the same thing about liberty. Uh, here he talked about eternal salvation versus humble love in chapter 8. Now, now he's going to talk about Christian liberty, and Paul defends his own liberty in chapter 9. We're going to get the idea that they, they challenged his authority. They challenged his, uh, his standing as an apostle and as someone who could... There were probably some in the church that when they wrote to him, others were saying, why are you writing to him? He left here. He's nothing to us. And now, if you're reading 2 Corinthians, you know that there's some people there influencing the church who are calling themselves super apostles. And they really weren't, but they're calling themselves that, and they're, 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 they're exercising authority over the church. And they're demanding payment, they're demanding, and they're criticizing Paul. And they criticize his person as well as his ministry to them. So Paul defends his liberty to this church. And he's beginning in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9, he defends his apostleship. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul, I think, gives a qualification for being an apostle. that The Lord gave to the church apostles, prophets, teachers, leaders. He, he, gave, he, he gave those gifts to the church. And, and we're talking about, and in that context, when he's talking about the church, he's talking about not this church, not, not a local church, but he's talking about the church eternal and the church collectively through time, and there are only one group of apostles. Uh, Paul was in that. Paul saw Christ and was commissioned as an apostle. And after that, they, they, allowed the, they laid the foundation. And now uh, we're, we're spiritual stones built upon that foundation, but we're not apostles. Now, there are some people in church denominations who call themselves bishops and call themselves apostles and but they're, they're not apostles. They're only a group of apostles, and they passed away after the first generation of the church. So here we read, Paul said, if you don't believe in an apostle, you ought to believe my seal of apostleship is because I led you to Christ. I established that church. I'm the one who brought you to Christ when I was there in Corinth. That ought to establish my cadrystals if nothing else does. And then in verse 3, he says, My defense to those who examined me is this. And if you're reading, there's a semicolon. And so he's going to give his defense. The word defense means apologetic. And it's not an apology. He's not apologizing. But he's saying, here are the points of my apostleship and my liberty to tell you what you should do and how you should live and to answer these questions. And then he speaks, first of all, um, about his rights. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? I can't help but throw this in. Peter was buried. Peter and the Catholic Church thinks he was the first pope, and they don't believe your priest should be married, but Peter was married. 
Okay, you got it? Uh, Jesus went into his house and healed his mother-in-law on one occasion. And uh, you, you, you don't deserve a mother-in-law unless you have a wife. So, <laughs> I said that wrong, didn't I? <laughs> okay, I couldn't have this throw that in. So, and here, here's what he's saying. Evidently, he is criticized because he came by himself. He's there, and we're, we're going to find out he didn't, he didn't take payment from the Corinthians when he was there. And now the people who are there evidently are saying, he's not a true apostle because you didn't have to pay him anything. You, didn't, you know, he didn't demand payment because they're demanding payment. You get, you're going to get that sense if you go into 2 Corinthians. And so you get that sense when you evaluate what you're reading here, and they're demanding payment. And Paul said, we had a right to do that. Don't I, don't I have a right to bring a wife and you support the wife along with me? And, <clears throat> and then he said, um, is, in the, about working, verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So when you're, when you're ministering to the church, you refrain from working. And when we read the book of Acts, we know that Paul worked a lot with his own hands. Paul was unsupported much of, much of his ministry, and he had to earn his own living. I, there are people who believe that he was independently wealthy when he started, but you don't really get that. You get Paul worked with his hands. It's really interesting. While he was in Corinth, is that he, in the, in the siesta time, he argued the scriptures in the house of Tyrannius, and he, and he spent that two or three hours in the afternoon when everybody else was taking a nap, and he was teaching the Bible and, and teaching the gospel. And, and then he worked the rest of the day with everybody. He, he worked as a tent maker uh, with, with Apollos and, and what was her name? Um, I give up. You remember? You know, there are a couple, a couple that came from Rome. And he lived with them, worked with them as tent maker. Okay, good. You're a good Bible student. <clears throat> okay, so, so here he's saying, this is, this is what he's saying. I have a right to be paid by the church. No, I'm just going to read the rest of it. In verse 7, whoever, and, and here's his examples. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit, who tends a flock, does not drink the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? Does not the Old Testament law say this? And then he gives an example from the Old Testament law. Verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall, must, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And then he says, Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sought spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material, your material things? And you know, I'm, and I'm not speaking as your pastor now, but I, I was, and um, you paid me and um, paid me adequately, paid me nicely, and I'm blessed. But and it gave me the liberty to study, it gave me the liberty to visit, it gave me the liberty to minister. To you, and it would be very hard. I know people who are vocational pastors. I have a nephew who is a vocational pastor. I mean, he worked at a job, 
and, and pastor a church, and it's just very difficult to do that. It's very hard to have a ministry to, to do that. One of the things I've, I've learned is that if you're always thinking about finances, you can't be spiritual. That's why it's good to be out of debt, by the way. And I, I'm not, <laughs> I don't want to get off on that, obviously, but if, if, if you're always struggling with finances, you're going to have a hard time looking to the Lord and making free decisions. You just, you just can't do it. They're incompatible. So it's good to get out of debt. Where are we? Okay, so, so he's saying that even God, in, the, in the Old Testament, the law says that. It says it for our sakes, uh, that he who plows should plow in hope, he who threshes hope should be taken of his hope. That's verse 10. And then verse 11, if we've sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partaker of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, Paul said, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Now here he's saying, I made an exception. Paul is saying, I made an exception. I didn't. Um, I didn't use this right. I had a right for you to pay me, but I didn't use it. Now, why? And he goes on to explain. He, he gives another illustration first, verse 13. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even, though, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. What that means is that their living is made from preaching the gospel, from the people that they preach to. So when he talks about the priest eating things, the offering, in the Old Testament, the, the, the tribe of Levi wasn't given land. So when the nation was divided and the ele- other 11 tribes all received land, the tribe of Levi were, was not given land. They were giving cities to live in and like garden plots, but no, no land. They didn't have, when you look at the maps, they didn't have land. Now, why? Because they were the ones who God chose to serve the temple. They were, they were going to be the priesthood and serve the temple and, and do all the things, even though they may have just been doorkeepers or clean up when they burned all the stuff. And you had all the refuge. Whatever their position was, they weren't all active priests in the same sense, but they all were involved. And the Lord said that the tithe from all the other tribes would be their support. So they didn't have to have the land to garner their support. God said, I chose them to serve you, to serve in the temple, to serve on your behalf, and you're supporting them. And then he uses that as, as, as the illustration. And then when you came to the priest itself, when you took your animal offering, and, and it was a sacrificial offering, and the priest slaughtered it, and the priest would uh, slaughter it, drain the blood, do all the things, and they would take what they wanted out of that meat. And there were certain offerings. It's pretty complicated. If you read the book of Leviticus and you're a genius, you can figure it out. But it's pretty complicated. Some, there were different offerings. There were sin offerings. There were burnt offerings. There were thank offerings. There were, there were celebration offerings. There were, just, there were just all kinds of offerings. There were first fruit offerings. And so they brought, all, they brought all this material goods to the temple, and the priests lived off of it, and that's what God ordained. The priests should live off of that. 
And some of it, they, some of the animal meat they gave back to the people who had a feast, like the Passover. They gave the lamb back to the people, and they had a feast themselves with that Passover lamb. Some of it, or went to the tribe of Levi. Some, some of it was the priest took it, ate it, sold it in the marketplace, and God ordained that. He said that's how they were to live. And so this is this is what. He is saying, and then he made that application in verse 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. You know, I'm not going to deal with that anymore. I want to, uh, you know, no, never mind. It would sound defensive if I did. I was going to say something to you. I'm just, now you're curious, and I, I've got your curiosity up. But sometimes it's very hard to live as a minister when, when you know, you paid me. And I knew there were people on Social Security who tied. There were people on Social Security who gave offerings, and they paid me. And that, my, my salary came out of that. Um, and so sometimes when I would buy something or we would buy something, I'd, I'd feel guilty about it. And it's just difficult. <laughs> and I'm saying this for you to feel sorry for me. I mean, I'm well fed. I'm well clothed. I, I, I eat too much, and so I eat the wrong thing. So you, under, you understand, I'm not saying anything like that. You, I was well provided for. But it's just difficult when you know that you're dressed nice and maybe back in those days wore a suit and a tie and there are people out there who are struggling and, and they're, they're supporting you. And it, it, it's very difficult. You need to pray for your pastors. <clears throat> so, when Jesus sent the disciples on a preaching mission. You remember, uh, he sent them out two by two, and they were going to go to the cities of Israel. And he said this, remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. So Jesus himself taught the same thing. It's repeated a couple of different times in different gospels in a little different way that uh, they deserve their wages. And so don't resent what your pastor has. Don't resent what he's paid or the other pastors. Um, <clears throat> in the secular world, they probably could do better. And so uh, they're, they're sacrificing to some degree. And if they're spiritual, they give. And if they're spiritual, they give sacrificially. And so <clears throat> uh, pray for them. They, they need your prayers. And now we come to Paul's, him refusing that payment. And here's his, he's, he, he's going to teach them. I we already read, he didn't take payment from them, and they're criticizing for it now. It's really interesting. They'd criticize him if he did, they'd criticize him if he didn't. And so he, 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 get, he talks about his right not to do that in verse 15. And now this is hard to follow, so just think hard. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
For if I do this willingly, I have reward, but if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Paul is saying, I should have said this before I said those things to you about myself. Paul Paul is saying, this is my problem. My problem is, is that I didn't want you to think I was doing it for the money, so I didn't take any. And Paul uh, was struggling himself, but he didn't want to hinder the gospel. You go back to Abraham, and you remember Abraham, Lot gets captured, and, and so Abraham goes to rescue him, and, and, and he, he captures Lot and defeats the people, and so he's bringing them back, and he comes to the king of Salem, and, and, and the king of Salem says, give me the people that were taken captive, and you take all the goods. Send that to Abraham. And Abraham said something along this line. Abraham said, oh, no. I'm not going to be, I don't want it to be known that I was made rich by you. I want it to be known that I was made rich by God. And I don't want to do it through warfare. I want to do it because God gives it. And, and then you come remember the story of uh, uh, the Syrian general Naaman who had leprosy and had captured a young maid and she told him, uh, there's, a, there's a prophet in Israel who could help you. And he goes to Israel, and he goes, he takes all these horse loads and, and donkey loads of, of goods, clothing and gold and silver, and he goes to the king of Israel, not the prophet, he goes to the king. And the king said, oh my goodness, you expect me to heal you? You think I'm God? I can't do it. But, he, but Elisha hears and says, sends word to the king, send him to me. So I love, I love this story. Naaman comes with all of his troops and all the wealth, and he comes and he arrives at the house of Elisha, and Elisha doesn't even come out. He sends a servant out to talk to him. And Naaman goes ballistic. I just love this. I love this story. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but it, I, I, I just like thinking about it. So Naaman goes ballistic thinking, don't you know who I am? Don't, don't you know, I mean, uh, and, and, and so the word he sends to him, the servant says, go dip seven times in the Jordan and you'll be healed. And he just, he, he won't do it. So he, so he leaves, but he has some, Naaman has some servants who say to him, that boldly say to him, if they demanded something great of you, you would have attempted it. Why would you not go try this? And so he goes, he tries it. He, he, he comes up the seventh time, the leprosy's gone. So he goes back to Elisha and says, won't you take these gifts? You know, I'm not buying it now, I'm giving you the gifts. Won't you take the gift? And Elisha basically says, I'm going to interpret it in my words. He basically says, I don't want payment for the gospel. I don't want payment for the glory of God. Um, and I don't know about you and... I, I don't know about the other ministers here, but I didn't do this because of money. Again, I'm blessed. You paid me well. I'm blessed. But I didn't do it for the money. We sacrificed to do this in the beginning, and we sacrificed greatly, and my kids sacrificed greatly. And, and, but I had a compulsion to be in the ministry and to preach the gospel. And that's what the Lord wanted and I'm blessed from doing that. And that's what Paul is saying. And I apologize to you this morning. 
I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to make this lesson about myself, and uh, I, I, I don't like, I don't like doing that. And so, but I've done it this morning because when I, when I go through this, we live this, and and you live this to some degree as well. The gospel is free. The gospel is without payment. Uh, it's freely given and and freely received, and that's what the Lord wants. <clears throat> Here's what when Paul said, I'm refusing the payment for the greater good. That's complete freedom. Paul is saying, I, I have complete liberty. I am free in Christ. I can, Paul said it this way, I, I, I can live in need. I can live in abundance. I'm, I can do that. I can do that for the sake of Christ. I have not achieved that complete freedom. If, if I had, I couldn't. I talk to you without emotion, but I get emotional because I still haven't achieved that complete freedom. Very few Christians ever achieved that complete freedom. Paul did. Paul said, I, I am free from what people think. I am free from, from their concerns. I am a servant of Christ to preach the gospel. That is my calling. That is my reward. That is my everything. And it doesn't matter to me what, what people think. Um, when we're reading verse 9, I mean chapter 9, and, and you come to um, verse 19 down through uh, verse 23, when, when, when Paul just said, uh, I am free from all men, for I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. You remember? I'm not going to read this whole thing, but he said, to the Jew I become a Jew, to the Greek I become a Greek. Uh, to the poor, the poor, you know, I, I, I just become all things to all men that by any means I might win some. See, that's complete freedom. Paul just saying, I am free to live however is necessary to get the job done, to, to, to do the gospel. We have some missionaries like that. I have met some missionaries. I'm not going to say all of them, but I've met some missionaries like that. I've met pastors like that. And this was the Apostle Paul. But it's just complete freedom. You know, one of the things I we, we like Jesus' parables. I, I love to read Jesus' parables. But Jesus' teaching, when you're reading the teaching, sometimes it's very difficult. The Gospels contain this statement that Jesus made. And, and this is applicable, I believe, to right here, what we're reading. And here's what he said. I'm going to read it verbatim. Will any of you who has a servant plowing... Or keeping sheep, say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down at table. Will you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and gird yourself and serve me till I eat and drink and afterward you shall eat and drink? That's what servants do. That's what we expect servants to do. We expect them to take care of us. We don't serve them, they serve us. Now, in the, in, the, in the common use of the word servant, this is what Jesus is saying. I, I hope you get it. He said, would you do that? And, he's, and they basically he's saying, no, you wouldn't. And then he says this. He, he goes on, he says, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? If you're a servant, you do what's commanded. You do what's expected. That's what you're supposed to do. And then he goes on, and he said, So you also, when you have done all that is commanded you, say, 
we are unworthy servants and we have only done what was our duty. I haven't arrived there yet either. <laughs> I, you know, we're here this morning because we love the Lord. We're here this morning, we love the Lord. But we have been conditioned in our life and we're, we're conditioned by our fallen nature to think, because I'm here, God owes me a blessing. Because I'm here, not out yonder, because I'm still not in bed, or because I'm in the world, or because I am a pagan, but because I'm doing it, because I'm giving sacrificially, because I'm here, because I've given my time, because I speak for Christ when I have opportunity in the world, because of that, God owes me a blessing. And I, I, that is my default thinking. That's my default feeling. Sometimes we fast because we think, okay, you know, if I fast, then God's going to pay attention. Well, you already have God's attention. He's dwelling in you. He, he's dwelling in you. He's with you. And you can fast if you want to. If, you, if it concentrates your mind, then fast. And, and remember Paul just said, food's okay, out food's okay, just doesn't make, food doesn't make any difference. It just makes no difference. I don't think I ever fasted again since I read that. <laughs> yes, yes, I have. But, but you have to understand, you don't fast to get God's blessing. You fast to let him know you acknowledge his blessing. You, 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 everything we should do, see, we should change it around. And you have, that's why, I say again, the renewing of your mind is how you draw close to Christ. And the renewing of your mind is you change the pattern in which you think. You, you change the pattern of, I am a servant of Christ. I deserve nothing. I deserve nothing. And everything he gives me is a gift. And everything he gives me is, is his grace toward me. Whether I think it's good or bad, whether I think it is uh, hurtful or helpful, whether I think it is fair or unfair, everything he gives to me is his will for me and for my blessing and for my eternal happiness and security and, and life with him. He is my master and he is sovereign over every detail in my life. That's how I want to think. That's, how I, that's what we come to when we stop to think. And how do you do that? You do that through prayer. You do that through remind, preaching to yourself. When, when you catch yourself having these feelings of, this is what I deserve and I didn't get it, you need to measure that against Scripture. You're, you're just a servant. You're just a servant. <laughs> and thank God one day when we go to heaven, we're going to be made like unto Christ or have a body like unto Christ. We will share in his glory. So whatever we go through today, Paul said, you know, this moment, momentary difficulties will not compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed in you one day. I remember reading C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, every person you see is made in the image of God. And, 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 and we, we, should, we should think, Wow, wow, they're made in the image of God. Wow, look at that, they're made in the image of God. Wow, I'm, I'm going to respect that. I wanna, I'm going to respond to that. I, I, I'm going to think about that. We're made in the image of God. 
And you know what? You are too. You're made in the image. I can think that about myself. I'm made in the image of God. And, and God may be putting me through the trials today, but he's doing it for a purpose, and I just need to trust him. I'm, I'm an unprofitable servant, and I don't need thanks because I serve him. I don't need those things. That's my job. That's my duty. <laughs> so, you know, and the, the, the church today doesn't speak about duty much. It speaks more of love and, instead of duty. But Christ did. Martin Luther summed it up. He said this, a Christian man and a woman is the most free Lord of all. He said, they're the most free Lord of all. We are free to live any way that we please. And then he said this, but the Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Met a man in a, not a cafe, but a fast food joint a while back. Donna and I ate there, and Donna went off to get a drink or something, and we were talking, he was reading a book, and he asked me what I thought about that book. And I told him, I said, the premise is wrong. And it's a book, I hope none of you have read it, but it, it's a book written by, quote, a Christian author, who, who's telling men that you need to be like Braveheart. You, you need to take your sword and conquer. And, he, and you need to, you know, and I have had conversations with people about it, but became a bestseller, and it's, it's just, and I said, the premise is wrong. He said, what do you mean the premise is wrong? And I said, Jesus didn't say that you're to take your sword and go conquer the world, be a real man for Christ. He said you're to be a servant. Jesus came to be a servant. And, and he said very plainly that the greatest among you is going to be the one who's servant to all. I said, so the guy's premise is all wrong. And if you follow it, you're in trouble. And, you know, but see, that's, that's the categories in how we think, but that's not biblical. That's not biblical category. We are a servant to all people because of the sake of Christ. Let me finish real quickly. Uh, Paul goes on, he said, I, I, I'm free to live in all strata society. Jewish, Gentile, rich, poor, doesn't matter. Under the law, out from under the law. He, what he's talking about, the, the people who have the Old Testament law and the people who don't have the Old Testament law. I'm free to live either way. And then he gives his motivation. Let me close with this in his motivation. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Temperate means you're governing yourself. Now they do it for, to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul's saying, I have a goal, and the, and the goal is the glory of Christ. The goal is the gospel. And I'm disciplining myself to achieve that goal. And nothing else really matters to me. And nothing else really affects me. Now, he's defending himself for the sake of the gospel. Not for his own pride, but for the sake of the gospel. Well, our time's up. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for, um, Lord, even these things that are hard, that challenges us to live, uh, Lord, disciplined lives that we serve and serve other people, serve you by serving other people. And Lord, uh, sometimes so difficult for us to do it, and sometimes 
We don't know how to do it. And so lead us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, might we glorify you in all that we are. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you in church.